Can I get a round of applause, everyone? Just an FYI, those claps are not for Real Madrid's performance. They're for Manscaped. Today, I'm excited to announce Manscaped launched their ultra-premium collection. Believe it or not, it's for your not-so-private parts. I'm talking about a leveled-up hygiene routine with your favorite manly scent. This is an all-in-one skin and hair care kit for the everyday man and covers you from head to toe. Literally, Manscaped is trusted below the waist. Now trust them with the rest. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com. For 20% off and free shipping with the code MANAGINGMADRID. And as always, we give out Manscaped Man of the Match Awards on these podcasts. And uh, unfortunately, there's not that many to choose from today. But there are a couple, and I'll leave it to Matt Wiltsey, who is here. Matt, who Manscaped today on the Real Madrid side of things? Well, it's a player that has been manscaping for the past two seasons consecutively with no issue whatsoever. It's Thibaut Courtois. We didn't have much time to talk about him today on the podcast, but he's been huge. And once again, once again, came up huge in this match with some really big saves, some important saves. He's been one of the best players all season, and he for sure had the new uh, premium collection for, for Manscaped. Listeners, get 20% off and free shipping with the code MANAGINGMADRID at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code MANAGINGMADRID at manscaped.com. The power of attraction is now in a bottle. Thanks to Manscaped. This episode is also brought to you by Bisha Hotel in the heart of downtown Toronto. That's where you should be booking your stay when you come see us, the Managing Madrid podcast, live in Toronto. That's right. We're coming back to TDOT. We love it so much. We're coming back. It's the last weekend of May. We're coming to do an end-of-season review podcast. And whether you're coming from Ottawa, Montreal, uh, Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, Halifax, Charlottetown, Moncton, Maybe you're coming from Detroit on the other side of Niagara Falls. Wherever you're coming from, book your stay at Bisha Hotel in downtown Toronto. Uh, And as the Canadian traveler wrote, and I quote, Believe me when I say Bisha arguably has the very best views in the city. From the aforementioned cost restaurant on the 44th floor, you will overlook the Toronto waterfront and the CN Tower, stunning by day, romantic by night. Hotel guests have access to the rooftop pool in the summer with patio service for those looking to imbibe while soaking in the sun, end quote. Uh, book your stay at Bisha, and also this week is actually the last week you can get early bird tickets to Toronto Podcast. So if you're planning on attending that one, highly encourage you to save some money and do it within the next few days. The link for that is in the show notes. Uh, coming up is a depressing podcast, I'm sorry, for the South Africa postgame show, even though Real Madrid won. I guess we're pessimists. We're just reactionary pessimists. I'm sorry for that. Sometimes we're also just fans. Don't forget that. Sometimes it's not just journalists talking. We're actually... We also love the club and we're fans of the team we're talking about. So um, sometimes we can also be reactionary. So if, if you feel like we're reactionary, I'm sorry. But if you actually want to ride the wave and feel like we are analyzing all of our concerns in a proper way, then you'll enjoy this podcast, hopefully, or, or get some solace out of it. And then after that, tons of Chelsea coverage, both in site and podcast form. And we're also going to be on the ground in London. So uh, stay tuned. Become a patron over on patreon.com slash management because you'll also also actually uh, join us on Zoom for the postgame podcast if you're a patron. And if not, you'll have to uh, just look in on the sidelines, closed off, holding the fence with a sad puppy face. So get in on that action and enjoy today's podcast. Let's go. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. Wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there.
Hello and welcome to a Saturday edition of the Managing Madrid Podcast. We are recording this after a David Ancelotti masterclass, an epic performance where brilliant, brilliant strategy to just get outplayed everywhere on the park, but then come up with three penalties and score two of them. That gives you a pretty good margin of error. If you, if you come up with three penalties, if you score two of them, you should be okay to get outplayed. So we're here to discuss the David Ancelotti masterclass and break it all down. And we're going to do it in a pretty pretty limited amount of time. We have a time restriction today, which I think is a blessing because I don't know if, I don't think it would be good for our souls and our hearts and our mental health and our physical and mental well-being to talk about what we just saw today for any longer than that. So joining me, Kian Sabani, for this very upbeat post-game podcast is Matt Wiltsey. Matt, how are you? Hey, Kian. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be honest. I, it was almost an effort to watch this game. Like, it took effort to really focus and try and keep your concentration in this match just because it was – it was really boring. It was tough to watch. It was Real Madrid created very, very little. Um, even when Celta scored, I was kind of secretly thinking to myself, okay, maybe this will get the game going. We're tied 1-1. Maybe it'll just energize the game a bit. Still didn't happen. Um, so it was, yeah, it was just rough viewing, at least from the Real Madrid perspective. I did a halftime live video on the Managing Madrid Instagram feed, <clears throat> and uh, people were people were saying that, Keon, you look tired. Keon, you look like you need sleep. And I think my performance on that halftime show was very much similar to Rayon's performance in this game, where like it, there was lethargy. I mean, it's a classic banana peel game in the sense that it's right after the international break and sandwiched in between that and then Chelsea first leg on the other side. My issue with it is that you could have copied and pasted this performance like basically every weekend and it would look the same. So, uh, and again, I mentioned this several times, but this is not, I don't think it's reactionary for us to talk like this, even though it's a Real Madrid win because we're very process oriented. And also, this is not about this game. It's about this season. It's about what we're worried about and what we're concerned about. What we're not confident will be fixed against Chelsea. And I think, like Matt, if this was a one off game where, like, you know, you just win and you play bad and it's like you come back and you say, well, these are the games that win you the league. If it's just a one off game like that, it's, less concerning obviously you're not really focusing on it then you can maybe be labeled as an overreactionary um pundit or analyst or fan or whatever but this wasn't a one-off performance it's been a consistent theme the 11's been the same and i think it's like it's one of those things that just compounding on top of each other and everything just kind of every mistake seems to fuel each other like i, I was vocal about this after the game that you know, there's been some cruel slander, and it's marginal, as always. And, and I think you mentioned this with Rodrigo Asensio as well, that you think that Rodrigo should be starting over Asensio. And I agree, and I think 95% of the people agree. And you mentioned that number, 95% probably agree. Um, so, as always, when we when we complain about some of the stuff that fans say in general, it's it should be noted that we're also focusing on the wrong things, I think, because the reality has always been the ones who are <laughs> are wrong are marginal and loud, whereas the ones who just kind of realize some simple truths just go about their day and don't really piss anyone off. So sometimes I feel like I feel bad bringing attention to it. But one of the things you have seen a lot or I have seen a lot is Cruz, Cruz slander. And I think like when you look at Cruz, I mean, this is a bad game from him. Nine out of nine long balls completed, the best passing accuracy on the team. 
I don't think it's just about those numbers. I think he actually could have done a lot better. I think his tracking on the Nolita goal was really bad. His tracking his whole career has been bad. But when you look at his player profile, he is a ball progressor, elite vertical passer, and one of the best controllers in football history from that position. And we're basically asking him to just play as a deep, in a deep block and chase some shadows around. And I think like, I think we're just, it's not only that we're running the same 11 into the ground, we're also running them into the ground in their wrong roles. And it's just compounding and compounding. And it doesn't add up to me because I think some of these players who would actually do better in this system are on the bench. And the way we're using the starters is kind of seems counterintuitive to their strengths. So those are just some more big picture thoughts that I had. I'm, I'm curious to know what you thought of that. Um, just in terms of like the, the, the struggle of the players, I think you can hold them accountable. But I also think that we're putting them in positions to fail. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. And I think it's the same 11, the same players, the same one or two guys. If there are any rotations, it's one or two guys. It's the same subs. It's everything's the same every single week. And the even today, this game, they had a whole international break to prepare and nothing was different. Absolutely nothing. And I feel like I've been part of teams where a coach like never changes the lineup and it does kind of get stale. Like you can sense it as a player. Like you need that just it, it brings a different energy. It brings a different freshness. It brings a different dynamic to the group when, when you're rotating players in and out and when you're trying different things. Um, when you do the same thing every single week, it just it gets stale. That's what's happened with this team. And I think that's what, like, when, when fans saw the lineup come out today, I don't think anyone really had any excitement. There's, I think it's the same way for the players. Like, I don't think it really revs them up either. I, obviously the guys who are playing want, want to play and everybody, every single player as an individual, you always want to play every single game. But I just think as a collective, you're, you're kind of bored of the same thing over and over again. Like, so, and I, I like, to, I, I kind of want to come to the defense of the players mostly here. And, and that's kind of paradoxical. I find with like my own beliefs, because I, Generally speaking, I believe the I believe the players are more important than the manager. You know, like I'd rather have uh, I'd, I'd rather have you know some superstars. I'd rather have Cristiano Ronaldo than Pep Guardiola. Let me just put it that way. Like at their peaks, and I think you can kind of piece it together that way. Where like I think we're all thankful we had Ronaldo and Modric and Cruz and Marcelo and all these guys in one team together at one point at their peaks, and that's what. And as much as I like Zidane, I think, you know, he is he was very important to come in because we all saw what the team looked like with Benitez just before him. So I, I think credit goes to everywhere. But I generally would lean on the superstar side of things than the coaching side of things. But I think, like, when you're... What we're seeing here now is we really need a tactician because I don't really necessarily blame the players. I think there's an onus on the players to make way better individual decisions than what they're doing. I also have... I don't think I've, it's been a long time since I've seen this much confusion in a team. It's a team that, so this is a, let me ask you, the, actually, before I go into my explanation of it, let's play a little game. It's called Gun to Your Head, Matt. There's a robber, he has a gun to your head. And he says, Matt, in 10 seconds, explain to me 
what Real Madrid's plan is. If you don't tell me, I'm going to blow your brains out. 10 seconds starts now. Go. Courtois makes big saves. Kareem Benzema scores goals. You're right, but I am offended. And therefore, <laughs> I'm blowing your brains out. I just think, like, that's, that's, I actually made that point too. If Real Madrid make a run in this Champions League right now, somehow, it's going to come down to feel free to save this recording, whatever, save the receipts or whatever, in case I'm <laughs> wrong. I'd, I'm happy to be wrong, by the way. I'm, I'd be happy if someone showed me the receipts. But if Real Madrid are going to win anything in this Champions League, which seems crazy to think about now to even get past Chelsea, then Liverpool, and sit, Liverpool and City, or whatever the order is, is City, then Liverpool, that how it works. Um, and by the way, Chelsea also just got destroyed by Brentford today at home, but I'm going to pretend that didn't happen for my agenda, and I think Chelsea will probably be a different team on Wednesday. But if we're going to make a run there, it's going to be down to individual performance. It's going to be down to Benzema. Vinicius needs to step up more than he has been in the last few games. It's going to be down to... Things we saw in the PSG game, like Modric dropping his shoulder, carrying the ball, splitting a diagonal through through ball, sprinting back into the final third, and just in like 20 minutes unleashing a special energy. It's going to be down to Militao with a late game block. It's going to be down to Courtois saving penalties. I don't know if that's a discredit to Ancelotti to, to talk that way, but I just don't know if I have faith from a tactical level that we can ta- out, out tactic, if that's even a word, to out-tactic Tuchel or Pep or Klopp. I just don't have faith in Carlos to do that. So it's going to be down to individual heroics. But if I had to, if a, uh, if a robber had a gun to my head, I'd die for sure. Because if I had to explain this, I would just, I would, I would, I would have to word it like this. My assessment is this team plays in a deep block, but also presses randomly at random times and it's decided by individual players rather than the collective and one player will randomly do it and you know in this game it was Vinicius a couple times and then he puts his arms out he's like where are you guys Modric and Cruz were doing it a lot everyone was doing it a lot against Barcelona it made no sense so there's no it's weird because Ancelotti says I don't want to press and then he says I tried to press and then there are games like where you don't think you're pressing, but then you do press randomly. And you saw it on the goal, too, that Nolito scored. I mean, there are a lot of problems defensively on that on that sequence, but it also started with a broken press. I'm just having a hard time explaining the clear, the idea, and I don't think it's clear, and I don't think it's clear to the players either. And this goes back to what Courtois said after the Barca game where he said, we didn't understand the sub that was made at halftime. We didn't understand, like, all of a sudden we went to three at the back, and, and, now, and then as soon as the second half started... Obama Young had a breakaway, and we were just confused. And and I think if we're confused and they're confused, everyone's confused. I just don't know what else to say. Yeah, and I remember some of my compliments towards Ancelotti um, at the start and kind of midway through the season were that he's he identified that the press wasn't working. He shifted the team to this low block system and kind of built the offense around Vinicius Jr. and built everything in order to get the best out of him and utilize his breakneck speed and his his ability in transition. And then um, the other thing I really liked was that he'd given everyone roles and everyone knew where they belonged in, in the pecking order and, and things of that nature. 
but then he never built on that. And then he tore that all apart and tried to rebuild. And you can't do that halfway through the season. And I think now he, like we've talked about on the last few pods and we're talking about today is he, he keeps flip-flopping. And today this match against Celta was a little bit of a mismatch with, like you said, Keon random players pressing and then the remaining group just in, in the deep block. So, and then his key guy, Vinicius, has kind of been burned out because he's played every single match. He flew, even when he flies back from South America, he plays every single match. And every, most of the starters who are, we've got our core midfield above 30, our core, best player above 30, like this group, they're tired. And now he know, he was he did a nice job in the first half of the season because he did all the things. But now it's like he's quickly blown it all apart and he hasn't provided variation. He hasn't provided freshness. He hasn't, he's completely neglected the youth academy and some of the youth pr- prospects we have. He's barely playing a guy like Kamavinga and Valverde. Like they're really not playing it much at all. Kamavinga didn't and, even play today. I, yeah. Yeah. yeah no. And um, like it's just, there's, and the things that we did criticize him about in the first part of the season were exactly this is that, okay, you've, you've built this out and you've done this and you went on that run where he literally didn't rotate at all, but we won all our games, including all the big games. We said, all right, this is great, but come the springtime, come when the games start to matter, like this team's going to be burnt out if you don't start introducing other players and start rotating. And we're starting to see that. And so I think it's it's fair to look at both what what we what we or at least me myself were positive about Ancelotti, but now look at um, kind of how he's he's veered from that path and he never built on it. He it, it felt like he was building something, and now it's just completely it, there's no clear direction. Yeah, and and that's that's the worrying part too. Um, I'd like to hit on a couple of themes at least before. Again, this is like an abnormally limited time podcast, so we're we're not going to maybe take our time as much as we normally do. So it's a little bit quicker pace. But um, there's a couple of themes I want to touch on. One is it our defending on crosses and set pieces remains to be a huge problem. And I think there was like there's only one player on our team who at least in this game was at least consistent in helping us clear, and that was Casemiro, who had six aerial duels, one, uh, six aerials, one, and seven clearances altogether. Beyond him, it seemed like we were really struggling to clear anything, and I'm not sure what's happening there. I mean, Militao only had two aerials, one. No one else had. No one else even had two. Um. And like it just seems like and and it, like Salta really really manifested it today. Like they showed they showed the point to everybody. If you just cross into our box, whether it be through a set piece or a corner or like a, a free kick or a corner or just a simple cross, it's almost a guarantee that Ram Jr. can concede an unmarked header. And it just seemed like clockwork today where Celta were getting into these positions over and over again where you could just cross it and lo and behold, someone was wide open. I mean, look, look at the numbers in the same. Javi Galan, nine crosses. Denis Suarez, nine crosses. Iago Aspas, nine crosses. Kevin Vasquez, five crosses. And the list goes on. And as a whole, they had um, a bunch of free headers, whether it was Kevin Vasquez or Murillo 
you know, Nolito, not a header, but just an unmarked run for his goal and also had an aerial duel one. It's just like it adds up a lot. And I, I'm just wondering if this, if you see anything in particular um, that we could – how do we improve on this? Is there something you can see that we're doing wrong that we're – where these these runners are just being open on all these crosses so um i mean it can't that can't these crosses and the the danger came about obviously on the disallowed goal as well with yes galhardo uh getting up and i think what's happening is the strikers are finding a way to get in the space in between our center backs and i think there's so much kind of sometimes chaos and disorganization in front of the back line, especially transition moment. Everyone's trying to figure out, like just get to the most dangerous man or get to a spot where they can uh, clear the ball and have the cross or whoever they're marking, like beat them to the ball. And I think that's what's causing a lot of the issues because then either one of Militao or Alaba is out of position and then the other one's trying to scramble to to cover both men and they have to pick one whoever they think is the most dangerous man and then the other one just kind of plays in the space the other striker plays in the space between them or behind them and just takes advantage of that and i think today um it was more uh gallardo just getting in the space between both of them i think militao probably should have been the mark and then alaba should have been on aspas uh, he wins that header, and then fortunately for us, Aspas was marginally offside. But it was—I mean, that's that's a threat, and that's can do kind of the one vice with Alaba is his his aerial duels and how he fares um, in the air, especially against bigger strikers. I, I don't think he's really been, uh, at least on in open play, been exploited that much this year. But on set pieces, yes. What is your assessment of the goal we conceded as well? Because that one was, um, again, it comes from the back of a uh, kind of a disjointed press that breaks down pretty easily with the ball over the top, and then Celta push forward. They find unmarked players. The I, I can't I can't remember who it was, but and as much as I I hated Real Madrid's defense on that goal, I think it's. I think we should also, I think it would be fair to point out that Celta also worked that brilliantly because if, like the way Nolito moves from the wing centrally and to provide numerical superiority in our box and get unmarked is really impressive. And I can't remember if it was Aspas or if it was um, somebody else, but someone from Celta dragged also um, Alaba all the way to the near post and that player was originally marked by Cruz, who could have done a little bit more to tracking in the boxes. He could have he could have really sprinted and maybe made it more uncomfortable, put another body in there. But he kind of just stopped tracking as after Alaba took over his man, and Militao also was way out of position. How do you break that down? What was what do you think the main culprit was, or do you think it's just like a, a combination of a bunch of things that just broke down? I think the main the main issue is, and this is off when you look at goals conceded and you can almost always track it back to that word right there tracking. Like it's, it's one of the easiest things to do, but it's also one of the easiest things to just lose concentration on, lose your focus and, and let a man go or it's miscommunication between midfield and defenders on who's picking up who, because oftentimes when a, 
offensive player moves into different zones or spaces within the pitch, you just pass him on. So like if Nolito goes from our right wing over to the central parts of the pitch, then maybe Lucas Vasquez passes him on to Casemiro. And then if he moves on over into the left half space, then you pass him on to Tony Cruz. And I think Tony Cruz there really should have done more to, to be able to track. I think not just Cruz, though, like all of our midfield was struggling to get back in that in that position. And we just, to your point, Kian, we just needed to get more bodies in the box, just get numbers in front or behind the ball to to deny any opportunity to shoot or get a shot off. What are your thoughts about this will be, I mean, there's a few more, but I want to prioritize this one before we, uh, before we wrap it up here. In terms of the way that Real Madrid are playing, the style of play. I I have nothing against inherently. I have nothing against playing a deep block, playing on the counter. I mean, you have players who can counter on this team, obviously, namely Vinicius Jr., who has been a little bit cooler uh, of late. He's not playing with the same flow and energy. He looks maybe a little bit burnt out and also not dribbling at the more the efficient rate he was earlier this season. Can't take players on as well as he used to. They're doubling him up on the wings, taking his space away. His decision-making has been poor. His finishing has kind of cooled off. But he's still really good. He's just in a bit of a slump right now. Um, I'm not inherently against using your counter-attacking weapons and defending in a lower block and doing that. Again, I'm just not sure if your plan is to do that every game, whether it's Salta or Elche or Barcelona or PSG or, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of messed up to remember this, but even against Alcoyano, we were we were playing deep. So, like no, almost no one on earth, and I mean like you have to be really in the top percentile of football clubs that are elite, and basically those are the handful of teams that are left in the Champions League now, plus maybe Barca and a few others. Only a handful of them are really good on a squad, like have a have a level of. Their, their squad is at a level where they can control game maybe better than Real Madrid could, theoretically. And I just don't know if we can, like, we're not maximizing our offensive potential, I don't think. We're not maximizing Cruz. We're running Modric into the ground. We're not getting Vinicius great opportunities in the final third because it's just relying on him to catch the ball and run 40 yards. And we're not, we're not maximizing the control ability and the pressing ability of a Cruz and Modric, for that matter, even at this age, even when Kamavinga and Fede are on, I'm not sure we're maximizing their off-ball, off-ball movement ability in the final third and their ball-carrying ability. We're getting zero from the right wing. I mean, that's a huge problem, regardless of who you put there. But I think Rodrigo at least gives you something more than Asensio. The right-back problem is a huge problem because we were so reliant on that diagonal switch to that right-back in years past. And right now, that right-back isn't giving us any production. That's a huge problem. In terms of the stylistic identity of the team, are you in the camp of like you like the conservatism or do you want to see a, a change in philosophy? So I don't mind the conservatism to as long as it as long as it's effective and as long as um, you can provide variation to your game and you're not kind of just a one trick pony, but as long as um, and as long as it's the right system for the players you have, 
that being said, what are, what would I prefer? I would prefer Real Madrid be the protagonist, be the one kind of stepping on the throat of another team. And you can do that in, in a counterattacking low block system, but you've just got to be full throttle nonstop, like just as quick as you can to get to the opposition's box. And that's just not the, the energy we play with right now or the type of mentality we play with. Like you, you think back to Mourinho's Real Madrid, like that was, that's a, I wouldn't say in the Classicos I liked it because we we sat too deep in the Classicos and I felt like certain games we gave Pep's uh, Barcelona too much respect. But for most of the other games, like we were still a transition side, a counterattacking side, but we were just lethal. Like it was about getting to the opposition's box as fast as you can, getting as many shots off in a game, like just being devastating in transition. And that's, I don't think we have the players for that. I think or maybe we do with some of our younger players, but we don't play them. So um, it's in that re- in that respect, like it's the weird mishmash of players right now. And I think you've got it. Carlos trying to balance the the older core and, and the young group, but I don't think he's doing a good job of integrating the young group. I don't think he's like I said the the slope that we were on we were on a nice trajectory. We were doing well. We knew we were overperforming our numbers a little bit, but there were still a lot of things that looked like we were going in the right direction and, and building something. And then gradually, what would you say maybe in the December timeframe or after we went through that run of games where we won a bunch in a row and then we lost to Cadiz, I think it was where we had a bad result. And then we had a bunch of draws. And I remember Osasuna um, athletic, there was a bunch and then the turn of the year came and our performances just continued to dip, continue to dip. We've had a few good ones with Real Sociedad with obviously the 30 minutes against PSG, the three, nothing winning against Alaves. Like there were some good ones, but for the most part, 2022, there hasn't been much to, to write home about. And it's just been this, our slope has now been a downward trajectory and it doesn't feel like we're building anything. And that's, I think the concern and the frustration a lot of Real Madrid fans have right now and what the frustration they have with Carlo Ancelotti. I think I think the uh the initial run of form in the games that ensued with the tactical change which started against Shakhtar had a lot to do with the, actually down to two things. One is that it threw teams off guard all of a sudden because there was a complete deviation in 180 flip. And so starting with the first game Deserbi was like, we did not expect that. That's not what we scouted. And so they destroyed us because we were expecting them to press us. Uh, And the other thing was that the team was a little bit more fresh back then. And now it's just kind of stale because the team is more tired and and teams have also just scouted. They know how to stifle our buildup. They know how to counterpress us so we don't escape our half. They know our positioning is deep and not able to recover offensively. I think think that's the problem now. we got to wrap it up here, right? Yeah, I just want to ask you, of the of the four calls, three penalties and a disallowed goal. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess we should. Where do you stand that. on all of them? <laughs> okay. Uh, it's hard to keep up with this one. So, well, four calls. Oh, you mean the disallowed goal? Yeah, disallowed goal and three penalties. It's pretty crazy to think of that. <laughs> disallowed goal was correct. Um, I think Aspas... If Aspas isn't there, I think Alaba clears that. I think he gets there just in time. I think having Aspas there threw him off a little bit. Blocks his, blocks his direct path to clearing it. 
I thought the first penalty on Militao was a penalty. I heard some of the broadcasts saying that it was soft. I don't really know if it was soft or not. Or frankly, I'm not sure if it matters. It was a penalty. Militao got fouled in the box. Uh, the second one. What was the second one? Rodrigo. Who? Rodrigo gets taken down in the box. Uh, for some reason, I'm blanking on that one. I can't even picture it in my head. Do you want to fill in for that one? I thought I thought it was definitely a penalty. Rodrigo gets taken down in the box. I mean, he does his little, uh, almost like a fake snake, and then jukes his shoulder and goes down the oh, Okay, right. yeah, yeah. I don't know why I blanked yeah. on it for a second. Yeah, that was a penalty. I guess the most controversial one, according to a lot of people, was the third one on Mendy. Uh, that's... I think it only looks controversial because of the slow-mo, honestly. It's the only reason it's controversial is well maybe because what I what I gathered the defender had his leg out and he was fouling Mendy. But I think what maybe made it tricky a tricky one was because Mendy seemed to have started his fall before the leg before he makes contact with the leg. Do you know what I mean? I'd have yeah. to look at it again. But I think that's where it kind of became a little bit challenging to deal with is because it seemed like while the foot was out and the foul was about to be made, I think Mendy it looked like he started his foul or started his fall before, but I, but I don't know. It it would have been a foul regardless. It's just I think Mendy, what Mendy basically saw it coming and was like, all right, we're getting another penalty here, so let's just start the process. Is is what I kind of assessed from that from that. Yeah, one. I mean, I think all all the calls were right. Honestly, I I I think all the calls were right, and even if even if one or two of them are are debatable yeah they're exactly that they're debatable like it's not like one was just so clear it shouldn't have been called and that it was outrageous none of them were were those types of calls so i i i think it was it was fine i think it's just being over dramatized because it's real madrid and because we've got three penalties and a disallowed goal oh for sure i'm sure like i haven't even checked but i'm sure there's a lot of a lot of different non Madrid Spanish uh Spanish team accounts already talking about it, you know. But they they will they won't really look at whether the calls are right or wrong. Um yeah. I know this it's very rare to get three penalties in one game, but if all the calls are there, um and Celta complaining about it, well maybe just don't foul our players in the box if you don't want to concede penalties. I don't know what else to tell you. It's pretty simple, right? Um let's wrap it here. Uh again pretty pretty content with the shorter podcast today just because we have a lot of content coming up we got uh i'm off to london soon and gonna catch the first leg i think sam sharp messaged me and he's gonna be there too so we might do a podcast from the stadium i'm not sure but we are planning to do a zoom podcast after both legs so if you want links to that you got to be a patron over on patreon.com slash managing it literally costs three dollars to get access you can pledge more and get different awards but all you need is three dollars bring that uh to your patreon.com slash managing Madrid sign up and you can get in and you get the entire backlog of content plus all the all the upcoming stuff that we're about to do chelsea coverage uh is going to be plenty and then we're also dropping a few tactical pieces i got one coming up tomorrow or monday and yash is also working on a big tactical preview as well so we got two big tactical preview pieces on managingmojo.com as well as a lot of aftermath coverage of this one matt thanks for your time buddy appreciate it and we'll talk soon take care
Before we let you guys go, you know the drill. We would love to give out patron shoutouts. So thank you to everyone who supports the show on Patreon because you're part of a big Real Madrid family and we're just thankful to be a part of it with you, to be quite honest. And specific shoutout to our $10 plus patrons because they get a specific shoutout on the podcast. So shoutout to Brandon Alvarez, Willie Reed, Way Pairing, Wamik Jamal, Umar Mahadi, sorry, Umar Mahadi, Tyler Simon, Tobias Royal Botcher, Tahmid Kalam, Sushank Damala, Sujaiwani, Subanchu Singh, Shivam Tiwari, Shamil, Shabaz Sharapov, Sergio Arispe, Santos Solorsano, Said Mahad, Rishi D, Phoenix, uh, Oscar Barrero, Barrera, Patrick Odayafadi, Omar Ahmad, Nico Laxo, Nicholas Zapatero Zubiare, Nicholas Moller, Nick Ribeiro, Nelson Mazariego, Muxi Thangal, Mowgli, MJ Diego, Michael Zinberg, Marin Myrtle, Martin Ridman, Leon Savernakis, Kunal Tilakar, Crystal Glass, Kevin Rivera, Jose Cruz, John Fernandez, Jeff Thurston, Jason Fitz, Graham Gerard, Gary Cohut, Frederick Rantakiro, Frederick Sundros, Faisal Hamdan, S.A. Davisito, Eloy Enriquez, Edward Sossman, Daniel Williams, Christian Toff, Christian Acosta, Charles Williams, Carlos J. Silva, Brendan Powers, Brandon Stevens, Austin Fiori Erdman, Ashik Bashar, Armando L., Anirud Singh, Alexis Seniceros, Alex Rose, Al, Adar Zalukovic, Adam Dorsey, Bella Chow, Varun, Fabio Moreno, and Daniel Smith. We love you guys. Thank you so much, and hala marim.